Welcome to Making Fit Work. I'm your host, Nina McGough, certified personal trainer and nutrition coach and busy mom of two. I'm committed to helping you get real results by sharing best practices and life hacks to staying consistent. I also regularly interview other busy professionals who have mastered the ability to juggle it all while staying the course with their health and fitness. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making Fit Work. I am your host, Nina McGough, and I am here today with my friend and client, Jess Caterly. Jess, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, happy to be here. Jess is a full-time marketing manager for a structural engineering firm and a part-time yoga teacher, a super involved auntie to two nephews, and a mom of two rescue mutts, Lloyd and Lucy, right? Yep, Lloyd and Lucy, my pride and joy. <laughs> I had to chase um, them out to do this podcast, so. <laughs> That's funny. I know Ivy's always trying to join me down here. <laughs> so today we are talking about how to thrive through chronic illness. I am really excited to talk about this. I think this is something that is going to really resonate with a lot of people and hopefully inspire them because I know that for sure your journey has inspired me personally Um so let's start to dive right in. Before we get into everything, I know your history is a little long. So let's go back first before all of the diagnosis and talk about how did you first get involved? What does your history with fitness, health, all that stuff look like? Sure. Well, um, growing up, I really kind of like dabbled in team sports. I wasn't a three-season athlete. I played field hockey in high school. That was kind of it. You know, bounce around, mm-hmm. do a lot of outdoor activities, play in the neighborhood with the kids. I didn't really find a sport or like any athletics or fitness level until I joined roller derby. And that was in the tail end of my college career. And it was almost at that time, it was very new. I mean, the roller derby as a sport has evolved immensely over the last 10 or 15 years. But when I joined, it was pretty much like a beer league. It was like, let's go skate and hit each other for a couple hours and then go to the yeah, bar how afterwards. Did you, <laughs> how did you get into roller derby? I remember you telling me that when we first pulled out those like skater exercises and I was like, well, clearly right. you're natural. Yeah, it it was a long time ago. God, it was probably 2004-ish, 2005. There was a show on TV. I think it was called Roller Girls. And it was this Texas flat track, or not flat track, um, banked track, like 70s style, like roller derby. Mm -hmm. And my mom was watching it. And she kind of made a comment like, I don't think you'd be able to do that kind of like, cause I was showing some interest in it and it wasn't in like a, a mean kind of way, but it was just kind of like, I can't see you doing that. And I very much have the personality that is like, watch me. (laughs) You, You throw a challenge out there. It's like, all right. So it was just kind of this weird happenstance that I looked up a local league and they were practicing on Sunday nights, just the next town over from where I was living at the time. So I was like, well, hey, there's one less reason for me not to try it. And then that was, that was a long, long career of commuting over an hour to practices, going to practices at 10 o'clock at night and getting up and going to class the next day. Oh my God. 
I don't know if I were to do it again today that I would be able to <laughs> to survive through that. But yeah, it was a yeah. lot of fun and I got to travel. I made the travel team pretty quickly, got to see different parts of the country, which was pretty awesome. And uh, obviously built up some endurance there. You know, it's a lot of effort goes into roller skating. Yeah, you're just turning in a circle a lot of the time, but you're also getting bumped and bruised and taking hits and falling down and getting back up. And that's the most important part. So not only was it the physicality of roller derby that kind of brought me into fitness, but it was that kind of competitive attitude that kind of comes with a lot of team sports like that. After roller derby, I suffered a few injuries here and there. Um, I got engaged and didn't want to have any injuries for my wedding. So I took a hiatus. Um, yeah. And in that hiatus is when I started going to a gym. And literally at that point, it was like, I'll go walk on the treadmill. I'll go. I never looked at the weight area. It was just super intimidating. And I was like, okay, I can get in and out in a half an hour. I'll just use the cardio machines and that'll be it. Um and then things started getting a little hectic. I went back to coaching roller derby, but not really at a fitness level because I had been taking a break and um, never really paid much attention to nutrition either. And that was that was an interesting thing to navigate because now in a lot of team sports, even pickup leagues like roller derby was, you know, they really stress like the, the full athlete now. It's not just like a pickup mm-hmm. league. Right, right, um, right. So yeah, that was that was really the extent of my my fitness journey up until the time that I met you and started going right. to small group training. And then that's mm-hmm. that's kind of been it for me other than yoga. Yoga has always so, kind of been a part of my life, but right. But yeah. So obviously the reason you're a guest on this episode today <laughs> is you are dealing with list it out for me. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to run down the timeline real quick. Um, Yeah, actually let's talk about what you're dealing with and then we'll go back to the timeline Sure, and like where it fit in everywhere. Cause I was looking at it. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's, let's talk about where you're at now and kind of like how it started to develop. Sure. So where I'm at now, (laughs) where I'm at now (laughs) with chronic illness is, moderate ulcerative colitis, which I'm sure you see the commercials for all those medications Mm -hmm. all over the TV, (laughs) but it's basically a gastrointestinal disease. Yes. Um, For people who don't know what it is, um, it basically is, all right, I went and pulled definitions because I didn't want to get anything wrong because I know my experience, but generally ulcerative colitis is a chronic disease in which abnormal reactions of the immune system cause inflammation and ulcers in the inner lining of your large intestine. Um, so basically what that means is you're not processing your food properly through your entire mm-hmm. digestive tract. It causes ulcers, it can cause bleeding, it can cause a lot of discomfort, bloating, Um, there are a myriad of symptoms and everyone experiences it in a different way. So I'm dealing with that currently. um, And it's not something that ever goes away either. Uh, I also have been living with celiac disease since 2013 is when I got my initial diagnosis for that. So for anyone who doesn't know, celiac disease is also a chronic digestive and an immune Mm -hmm. disorder that damages the small intestine. (laughs) And it's triggered by eating foods that contain gluten. 
a lot of wheat products, a lot of barley, even foods that you don't even think would have wheat in them. Like the the most eye-opening to me was soy sauce, something right. I, I wouldn't think right. that's made with wheat, <laughs> but it does have wheat in it. So you have to be really careful about shopping. And thankfully, my celiacs is at a point where like, I don't have to have a gluten-free kitchen. Some people are very, very sensitive, just like a peanut allergy or, you know, they can't even be around it, right. can't be on the table, even if it's on a separate plate. Um, right. Thankfully, mild, my version of celiacs, the way that I have been dealing with it, is on the milder spectrum. I still cannot eat anything that has gluten in it, but I do have a shared kitchen. My husband is not gluten-free, so as the preparer of meals, <laughs> that's always a little tricky to navigate as well. Um, but generally no gluten. And now with the ulcerative colitis, um, that also brings some other aspects in, but basically it's the entire digestive tract from beginning consumption to the end elimination that is affected. And um, also battling a generalized seizure disorder, which popped up out of nowhere, which is a struggle as well. And as much as we like to think we can control everything around us and not be stressed, a lot of these things are complicated by stresses in our lives and need to be managed with medication as well. So I'm hoping that's going to be the end of the list for me. <laughs> I hope so. But we'll yes, see. So. so let's go back. So first you were diagnosed with Wait, let me make sure I got my timeline right. First, it was the colitis. It was celiac right? in 2013. Oh, celiac first. Yeah. Okay. So you were playing the Leap Derby at that time or not? I like, was how not. how did you realize? So I you... was on a break from roller derby. Okay. So I was on a break from roller derby at that point. I had just gotten married in June. I was starting to have some tummy troubles. I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's just stress. I had started a new job and I was just constantly feeling bloated. Just like, you know, everybody has that experience of just feeling like yuck from top to bottom yeah. and just feeling heavy. Right. And then I was finding like when I was eating certain foods, I started to put together like, oh, I'm feeling worse after I had pizza last night right. versus a salad, right. which has, you know, no gluten in it. If you don't have croutons, those types of things. So I was starting to put two and two together. And I also started to lose weight after that. My skin was starting to get a lot paler. Um, eyes kind of like sunken. I was basically, my husband said, you're, you don't look well. Um, and, you know, everyone is like, oh, I've lost five pounds. You know, that's not the healthy way to go about it is to be ill. But, you know, you step on the scale and you're like, oh, that's not that bad, you know. But then when people around you start realizing and it's something that you're like not in control of, that's the hardest part. So I finally right. was like, you know what, I'm going to go to my doctor. I'm going to tell them about what I've been experiencing, what I think it is, Um they ran a bunch of blood tests. And when I say blood tests, I, I think I sat there and gave 14 vials. 
I didn't think I was going to be okay to drive home <laughs> after that because they need to test for a myriad of things. When you have celiacs, when you have EUC, you're not getting the proper absorption of nutrients through your digestive tract. So you could be low in vitamin D, you could be low in calcium, you can be low in a whole bunch of different things. So they have to run all those tests to get a baseline for you. And the test came back pretty quickly, I'd say within a week. And it just so happened to be one of those weekends that we had one of those massive snowstorms, like back to back. We had, they had dumped like, you know, a foot of snow at a time. And I got the phone call from my doctor and they, they told me that they suspected I had celiacs and that I should stop eating anything with gluten immediately. And mm. here we are, you know, your typical snowstorm preparation is milk, bread, and eggs, right? That's what you stock right, up right. on. It's <laughs> so I went and looked through my pantry and I just sat there in my kitchen and cried because I was like, okay, I have pancake mix. I have enough bread to beat the band. You know, I have pizzas. I have, and if your girl says she doesn't like bread, she'd be lying because for real like right. bread I that was my sustenance bread and butter grilled cheese like that was always my go-to in a pinch and it was kind of a, a huge handicap at the beginning because your whole life changes you're like what what do I do right. what can I eat right. and especially and I like I like I hinted before, when you're cooking for someone else who's not gluten-free, it's like, I don't want to put right. those shackles on someone else either, you know? Um, so that right. that was always a challenge, too, to see him enjoying a grilled cheese sandwich and me just sitting there, like, drooling and being like, does it taste good? Because <laughs> right. right. I remember what that's like, but I can't have it anymore. <clears throat> I think it's important to differentiate, too, between celiac a gluten allergy and what would you call it more of just a resistance to gluten because I know that there is this big like gluten free like but I think it's important to note that when people with celiac say like they're feeling bloated and yuck they don't just mean the like mm, I ate a little too much type bloated right like yeah. You're talking a serious, like, not feeling well. I'm talking like I would have to wear sweatpants because I couldn't button my jeans that were already stretchy. I would right. look like I was four months pregnant if I had right. gluten right. and then deal with the consequences of, you know, bathroom issues, having diarrhea or even a little bit of blood for up to two right. or three weeks afterwards. And it's, it's ugly. It's, it's, it's yeah, not pretty. Right. It's not a fun place to be. It's really scary sometimes. Right. So right. it's, and it's so, not worth the cheat or it's not worth the, oh, okay, I can just have a little bit. Whereas, okay. you know, there is this whole gluten-free, everything is advertised as gluten-free when it is. And people go on gluten-free diets thinking that's going to help. And honestly, I mean, the feedback that I've gotten from my team of medical professionals is that if you don't have to go gluten-free, don't do it um, because you kind of lose that ability to digest things. If you go without it for so long, you almost create mm. an intolerance when you right. might not have had that before just for right. the sake of, you know, potentially a fad diet or a quick, you know, weight loss or things like that. It's, it's not ideal. 
Um, but for so someone who is that... diagnosed and suffering from specifically celiacs, yeah, gluten is it is an absolute no, 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 no. Just I'll have a little bit and then move on from it. Right, right. And how did that affect your routine that you had going for yourself at the time? Well, for me at the time, it was, you know, especially dietary, it was like pop a bagel in the toaster and out the door to, to work. It ended up forcing me to meal plan. I had to prep Mm -hmm. ahead of time. I had to have things at the ready for quick meals because you couldn't just stop off at Panera or, you know, any quick food place to get lunch. Even it, that, that really was the catalyst for me to start thinking about what I was eating a little bit more and packing my lunch and making my breakfast and really thinking about dinner because it wasn't just going to be, you know, quick bowl of pasta here or there or that type of thing. It was more, I tended to lean more protein and vegetable based immediately after my celiac diagnosis because I didn't think that I could eat anything else. (laughs) You know, everything is partnered with a in my house growing up, you always had a starch on your plate. It was either potatoes, rice, or pasta. And in early life, living in an apartment and, you know, scrimping and saving, pasta's cheap. We used to eat pasta a lot. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that really was, was ultimately the catalyst for meal planning and eating a little bit healthier because you are limited in your options. Right, right. So then fast forward... To the colitis diagnosis, how many years later was that? Oh boy, that was about a year later, towards the end of that first year with celiacs. And so I, you've been going through a year of the celiac. You're thinking you have this under control, right? You've started mm-hmm. to learn a new way to cook. You started prepping. You started diving into nutrition more. What you can have, what you can't have. You kind of get yourself on a new routine. How long did it take you to feel like you had you had the gluten-free thing down, that you got it, that it was easier um, lifestyle-wise and all that stuff? I would say that took about a good solid like six to nine months. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I would, I would have a lapse. I mean, just like any anyone who right. deals with like substance abuse will, will agree. And even people with, with food issues too will agree. Like if you can't have something for so long, all of a sudden you think, oh, one little thing won't hurt. And then you have the right. one little thing and then you're like, oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. And you're dealing right. with the consequences. So I kind of like rebelled a little bit. It was a rocky first three months. Cause I was like, oh, I can't be that bad. You know, I feel once you start feeling better, you start to backslide a little bit, right? So I I did that kind of back and forth for a few months there. And I would say, yeah, between six and nine months is finally when I realized like, hey, really got to be strict here. There's no leeway on this kind of thing. And as that evolved, it got a little bit easier. It got easier to shop. I learned, you know, the tricks and tips uh, back in 2013 they weren't specifically advertising gluten-free everything. You really had to read the labels of everything. So that I had to learn how to grocery shop all over again, too, because just because something says, oh, rice crackers doesn't mean there's not some aspect of gluten mixed in there to make those crackers. Um, right. 
And to the other effect, now you go in the store and everything's advertised gluten-free and sometimes they jack the prices on that just because it has a gluten-free sticker on it. And it's like, wait, if I walk down this aisle three more feet, I can find the very same thing. It doesn't have that gluten-free sticker on it. But if I flip the ingredients over, they're exactly the same. And this is like $2 cheaper. So learning how to shop with celiacs was, was really interesting as well. But I would say... It took a while. And then I started yeah, having so symptoms you, again. Right. Were, so did you, what, what was the first thing that came through your mind? Because, I mean, you're getting this down. You're about nine months. You're like, all right, I've got this down. I'm. You're probably feeling good, right? Yeah. And were you on a regular fitness routine at that time? So at that time, I was, again, going to a gym. My husband had decided to join me because it was a perk through his employment at that time that he got a family Mm -hmm. gym membership. So I was like, okay, we'll go together. We used to go right after work. Um, And this is before dogs. So we didn't have to run home to do potty breaks. (laughs) So we would meet up at the gym after work and do, do a little bit of lifting. He still was like, not so sure on a lot of the free weight stuff. And we would either hit the elliptical or the Stairmaster, the treadmill, get a quick workout in side by side and then head home. And I'd say we did that about two or three nights a week. And I had rejoined roller derby at that time. I was playing as well as managing some of the teams at that point. And I felt like my so life super was active. Yeah, pretty much back to normal. We were back in a regular routine. I just knew what I could and couldn't have. And I assumed that was mm-hmm. going to be the end of it. And it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. So then you're feeling good. A few months later, you start having what kinds of symptoms? So I was having the very same symptoms following a gluten-free diet as when I was first diagnosed with celiacs. I immediately started with the weight loss and I thought like, oh, I'm going to the gym. So it's working, you know, but then started getting that kind of like gaunt look and my husband looked at me again and he's like, are you, are you kind of cheating on your gluten-free thing? Like he, he was confused too, because he's like, why are you having so many symptoms? Why are you in the bathroom all the time? And I, w- I literally was in the bathroom probably in the short time I'd be home from work, you know, say from six to nine before bed, I'd be in the bathroom six times. Oh, wow. Sometimes something was happening. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes there was blood. Again, it's really scary. Ulcerative colitis is a really ugly disease. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of shame in that. I mean, you don't want to talk about, (laughs) we, I mean, I have nephews. We talk about gross stuff all the time. You know, when you're newlywed, you don't want to go talk to your husband about your bowel movements in the bathroom or like what that looks like, you know, but it's scary, you know, when you are going to the bathroom and you're not feeling well and all of a sudden you're seeing blood. You're like, what is wrong with me? Like, do I need to go to the emergency room? Yeah. It's a huge, you know, a lot of question marks. I mean, and I do not, I don't do well with blood. I actually accidentally grated my finger with a cheese grater one time. You know, you get a little overzealous. And Joe was out. My husband was out doing errands and he came back and I was like laying on the floor. He's like, are you all right? And it was like literally a paper cup, but I don't do well with blood. So (laughs) having that happen multiple times a day, um, it's scary. 
And I called my doctor and I explained exactly what was going on. And they were like, "Uh, we got to get you in for some more tests. And I'm thinking, okay, what could this be? Because sometimes your brain goes, I'm doing everything right. Is it, you know, you hate to say the C word, but like, is it cancer? Is it like, you know, crazy, crazier things have happened. Right. And I tried to stay off the internet because that can get y'all wound up too. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to go to my appointment. I explained everything to them. And then they sent me for a colonoscopy. So I was 20, let's see, I was 28 years old at the time in there for a colonoscopy. And all the doctors are kind of looking like, are you sure you're in the right place? I'm like, nope, I'm here. We got to do this. So colonoscopy, endoscopy, and immediately coming out of that procedure, the the doctor that had performed the procedure showed me the pictures. And usually when you're looking at your, your colon, is uh, the lining is a little bit smooth. It's usually pink. Um, your intestine, also your large intestine that's there is usually very pink, not red, not inflamed. Um, and mine was as red as a tomato, all kinds of lesions, all kinds of, and for no other reason than my body was attacking itself. It's an autoimmune disease. And things like this can happen at a young age. They can happen at an old age. Some people never even have to deal with this, but it it does come on unexpectedly most times. Um, And yeah, that was the beginning of colitis treatment, which for me, was oral medications. Um, They actually told me to stop exercising until I was recovered because they didn't want me to lose any more weight. They didn't want me to have to deal with any extra stress on my abdomen. Um, So basically, I took almost a year off from any physical activity. I just, so I mean, walking. Obviously, I lived in a third floor apartment. You're not going to avoid that, you know, up and down the stairs. And the thing with ulcerative colitis is that, you know, you can take medications that help to manage it. But like I said earlier, it it doesn't go away. It's not something like a cold or a flu or anything like that, where you're like, okay, six weeks from now, I'm going to be completely healed and live a normal life and feel, feel way better. Um, there was even a point in my life at 28, 29 years old that I was wearing Depends. I mean, I'm in the aisle at, at the store shopping for adult diapers for myself. Mm-hmm. I wish I could say like, oh, I'm buying these for my grandma. You know, I'm doing a really nice thing, right. but it was, it was right. like humbling. It's, it's, a I don't know, again, a, a whole lot of shame kind of has to go out the window because you need to take care of yourself. And right. the thing with ulcerative colitis, I mean, you don't know when you're going to have a flare. And when you're have a, having a flare, you don't know how bad it's going to be. Is it going to be, I can't make it to work? I have a half hour commute. Am I not going to be able to make it to work without having to stop to go to the restroom? So when you say a flare, what does that mean for someone who has colitis? So for someone who has colitis after your initial diagnosis, those symptoms that I was experiencing are a flare. So the bloat, the weight loss, or even weight gain, um, blood in the stool, extreme fatigue, all of those things in combination. 
can be okay. a flare. It even could be a little bit of nutrient deficiency because those ulcers are kind of forming and rearing their ugly head in your intestines. Um, and in a flare, basically those symptoms that I had my initial diagnosis from kind of come back. And they don't always come back immediately and all at the same time. Sometimes it's like, mm, I'm feeling bloated for about two weeks, probably related to colitis. Or it can be as bad as trying to make it to the bathroom and you don't make it in time. Or, right. you know, just really feeling nauseous and having no appetite whatsoever. Um, Got it. And also in that process in the treatment of those flares is usually an increased level of medication, depending on what you're on. Um, thankfully, I've been able to monitor and manage mine with oral medications, but sometimes in a flare that also includes prednisone. And we know mm. what that can have, that effect that that has on the body. It's water retention, it's weight gain, it's that moon face, it's you feel like you're not even in right. your own body sometimes. It's just like, right. okay, I'm here. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm not seeing myself the way that I normally look. Right. And that that can take a toll on you mentally too. It's not just all in your of gut. Of course. You know? So, and that's something you can't control. You can't out-exercise prednisone. You can't diet away right. the effects of prednisone. It's just, it is what it is until you finally right. taper off and then hopefully you can get back to baseline. Um, yeah. But everyone's different. So through that diagnosis, right, your doctor says take a year off, right? Mm hmm After a year, did you? Were you feeling like you had it under control through medication? How did you find your way back to being active again uh, into a new fitness routine? How did you find your new normal? Sure. So after that first year, I was feeling better. I was having less symptoms. And my husband and I like to travel. We like to go away for the weekends. My parents live in New Hampshire. We would go up to visit them quite often. And the thought of a three-hour car ride was a little daunting at that point. But once I started to mm -hmm. feel better, it was like, okay, we'll go up for the weekend or we'll, we'll go kayaking for a day someplace that we had never been before. So fitness looked different. It didn't look like the gym because he had started to not be interested. If I wasn't going to the gym with him, he wasn't interested. So that was something mm -hmm. that we had to do together. So we started to find different ways to exercise. So it was hiking, it was biking. We've done the, the Cape Cod Canal a bunch of times. We have gone to Provincetown right. and done the bike trails through the dunes down there. Um, so fitness looked more like just outdoor activity to me at that mm -hmm. time. Um, yep. And I always had a gym membership to Planet Fitness. So I always knew that that was there for me. Um, but mm -hmm. I think that the biggest catalyst throughout the flares and then feeling better and then feeling worse was really buying a house. Because there's a lot of work that needs to go with that. And once we bought our house and got settled and did all our yard work and landscaping, which is 
a heck of a fitness journey in and of itself, shoveling dirt and <laughs> moving rocks and installing fences and and things like that. We decided to adopt a dog. So that incorporated daily walks multiple times a day into okay. my now fitness at that point. And then once we were settled in here, I decided, you know what, I feel good enough that maybe I want to try something new. And at that point, my husband was, again, he wasn't going to the gym regularly. He wasn't going with me. He had other things going on. I didn't necessarily want to go by myself. And there was a small group training studio really close. So I was, you know, kind of, what have you got to lose at this point? You're feeling okay. Give it a try. Right. So I signed up. And had you been, had at that time, had you been flare free for a while or were you still dealing with random flares? So at that point, I had been symptom free from the colitis for about a year and a half. Um, And again, I felt like, okay, you're good enough. You can survive half an hour group training session (laughs) and then make it home like that that should be acceptable to your body and your tolerance at this point um but I also hadn't necessarily been working with weight so that was a whole new thing for me so moving to a new neighborhood going to a new gym where I didn't know anyone a lot of that takes some courage but having been through what I had been to to that point I did feel like, what have you got to lose at this point? You go, it doesn't work out, then whatever. It is what it is. It's not any worse than it was before you signed up. Um, So the first week sucked. I hadn't done anything with any weights. I hadn't done any cardio. I was just purely doing outdoor kind of activities as fitness, taking the dog for a walk. And um, yeah, that first week was humbling. It was, it was tough to get through just like starting. Were you afraid or nervous at all that adding something new, like a new stressor to your body would cause a flare up? I honestly didn't give it that much thought until it got to days where we were like heavy on the ab work, core Mm. work. Anything like that, I was like, ooh, that's like a sensitive spot for me. But I did also realize that like your core is more resilient than you'd think. Um, Just like external stressors aren't really going to cause a flare. It's more chemistry oriented. It's not physicality oriented. Um, And... It was interesting to see, you know, what my body was capable of at that point, you know, starting new with this illness that I now have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, There were good days and bad days, obviously, (laughs) as with any workout. I mean, everyone who signs up for a group session deals with that. Um, Right. And did the new diagnosis of colitis, did that change things for you nutritionally again? Or how did that affect, how does that affect your diet? Colitis is really strange. So the way that celiacs is just a very cut and dry, no gluten 
colitis is different for every single person that experiences it. Some people can't tolerate meat because it could be difficult to digest. Other people Mm. can't tolerate raw fruits and vegetables. Like I personally have a problem with either super high fiber foods or things like salads. If I have two or three salads in a row during the week for lunch, I know that Mm -hmm. Thursday and Friday, I'm probably not going to feel right. Um, And that's when people think like, oh, healthy eating, it's like incorporate more fruits and vegetables. And that to me is like, absolutely not. Like I could not go vegetarian. I could not just subsist off of those types of nutrients. Because first of all, if I go into a flare, my body is not absorbing them. So they're not helpful to me at all. And then secondly, they could be actually doing more harm than good because I can't digest them in the way someone with a normal functioning gut would be able to. So So what was that process like in figuring out? Like, how did you figure out that those were the things that were bothering you the most? So the way that you figure that out is an elimination diet. Takes a Mm. long time. And also what you find is during that elimination diet and then slowly adding things back in is once you go through that process and especially with colitis, you think you have it locked down. You think you have all the answers. You're like, okay, this is my safe list, right? Right. But then our gut is constantly changing, whether it's the different types Mm -hmm. of bacteria that are naturally occurring in there, things can change. So what was safe a year ago for me might not be now because things constantly are changing and it depends on the state of, you know, your disease at that point. So there's never any approved like safe list that I know will be with me for the rest of my life other than gluten-free. Right. That's, that's constantly evolving. So that's the struggle. Again, that's a mental struggle. It's like, why, why is this happening to me? (laughs) You know, I thought I was doing everything right. You know, you steer away from alcohol or you steer away from nightshades because those could have an effect on you. You know, I went without tomatoes for a very long time (laughs) and then all of a sudden I had one and I was fine again and I cut out string beans from my diet because they were really high fiber and hard for me to digest and I was fine again. It's just, it's so strange how it constantly changes and you kind of can't help but get in your head, especially when you think that you're doing everything right. It's really hard. It sets you back. And, and, you know, just you're in great shape, but I got to imagine for someone who, for example, um, you know, might be on a weight loss journey, that could be even just an added stress for them, right? Like they already are, they're trying to figure out how to eat healthy, but then they have this added stress of like, maybe the healthy things (laughs) are actually bothering them things like vegetables and fruits and whatever maybe lean chicken like lean protein like who knows right because there is no like you're saying safe list when it comes to colitis right and i mean that evolves with each person who suffers from that disease individually Mm -hmm. and that also varies from person to person i can't tell you how many kind of support groups that i'm in online where someone will say i finally achieved remission so remission doesn't need 
necessarily mean that you're cured of this disease. It just means you're symptom free mm-hmm. for a period of two plus years. So if you go Mm -hmm. two years without a flare, you're technically in remission. What that does is the doctor says, hey, maybe we can step back your medication. Maybe we can start making some changes that are a little more holistic um, because you haven't had a flare. So when people post those types of things, it's really inspiring. Like, oh, I might be able to get into remission. But then the next breath, they're like, what did you do? What did you do to get there? There's no, there's no one size fits all for this disease. It's really unfortunate, but it's like what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for the next person. And especially with a chronic illness, like I said, you kind of get in your head and you think you're doing everything right. And sometimes you get to a point of desperation and you're just grasping at straws and you're like, well, if they did it, then I can do it. And that's how I can get there. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, that's the same way for anyone on a fitness journey too. I mean, you see sometimes these dramatic weight losses or these dramatic like muscle gains and you're like, I need to do exactly what that person did. You could do exactly what that person did and your body chemistry is completely different. You're not going to see the same results. And I know that sounds like such a downer, but that's not how this works we're all individuals. It's different for everyone. So you get into a training routine. You're starting to feel good. You had been symptom-free all as well. You are working hard. You are getting super consistent with your workouts. I know because I was there every (laughs) those three or four days a week at 5.30 a.m. seeing you, and it was great. And then – God, now I feel like I say this all the time, but the pandemic always puts a mush on how many years ago that was. But then I I remember. I think it was about four. I think we've been working out for about four years, maybe total. Yeah, maybe four or five years, I think. Yeah. Because 2017 is when I was there. And, and that's when sure I first you were signed up. First. Yep. Yeah. Right. So, yep. and it might have been, was it about two years in? Was it 2018 or 19 that then, here you go now with a new diagnosis? Right. So, 2019, May of 2019, 2019. I'll never forget. It was a Friday. We had a company cookout at my work. And they're so accommodating at my job right now. They're like, anytime we have a company event, they order gluten-free things. They know, you know, they're very, very aware of things, which is really great to have a support system outside of your immediate family that knows what's going on with you um, and is accommodating to that because it kind of makes you not feel as ostracized with, you know, dietary restrictions and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget, I had come home from work. I sat on the couch as you do after a long week and kind of like nodded off with the TV on. It was, I had no reason to get up on Saturday morning. And the next thing I remember was my husband ushering me down the front stairs and getting me in the car. And I think it was like midnight and I was completely out of it. I had no idea what was going on. And he's driving me to the emergency room and I'm asking all kinds of questions like, where are we going? Why are you upset? (laughs) 
I had no idea what was going on. And he said, you just had a seizure on the floor in the living room. You sat up from the couch, gasped, and then fell forward onto the floor and started convulsing. And I'm like, you are lying right now. <laughs> You're not telling the truth. That doesn't just happen. So were happen. you out of it? I out of it at all? I or you were out. completely with it? Blacked no, when out. you were talking with him. When you were oh, talking afterwards. With him, yes. Oh, I was back with, with it. it or, yeah. I was, I mean, it was still a little foggy, but we were in the car and I was like, this is embarrassing. I'm in my pajamas. Where are you taking me in my pajamas? <laughs> you know, you kind of do that incoherent, like when you're coming out of anesthesia. We've all seen those videos right. of the kids coming out of, you know, dental surgeries right. and stuff. You think you're coherent. In my mind, I was coherent. Um, but no, he brought me to the emergency room. I had had a seizure out of nowhere. I had chomped on the side of my tongue, you know, all those like crazy things. And he brought me to the emergency room. They ran a litany of tests and they didn't find anything wrong. It was just out of nowhere. And they said, okay, you know what? We'll make an appointment for you to see a neurologist on Monday. If, if anything happens, we're going to send you home. And if anything happens, give us a call or wait till Monday when you see, when you see the neurologist. And we got home and I finally got to change my clothes because unfortunately, just like with any seizure, you have no control over your, your movements whatsoever. So I unfortunately had peed my pants. So here I am in my pajamas, in my pee pants, <laughs> out in public in the middle of the night. And my husband's like, we'll get you home. You'll be able to shower. And here I am again, feeling kind of like an invalid. Like I, you know, when I was standing in the aisle at the grocery store shopping for adult diapers, I'm like, what is happening to me? I'm 32. Right. Like, this is nuts. Right. So he tucks me into bed. Three hours later, I had another one in bed and he threw me in the car and we drove back to the hospital because thankfully it's only a five minute ride. By the time he called right. the ambulance and they got here and brought me, it probably would have been much longer. But yeah, two grand mal seizures, full convulsions, craziness within less than eight hours of each other. And we go back to the emergency room and they're basically the same story. Can't find anything. We have a neurologist appointment on Monday. And that's the scariest thing is I know they're just there to triage. They're just there to give like right. a quick answer and get you out the door. But then you're like, okay, so my gut doesn't function right. Now my brain isn't working right. Like what is going on? And up until that point, I was functioning functioning normally. And when I finally went to the neurologist, this is the most infuriating answer. And I know they're trying to do their best. But the neurologist said, do you think you're under a lot of stress at work? Do you have a lot of stress in your life? And I'm thinking, who doesn't? have a it lot doesn't. of stress. Yeah. I mean, everything yeah. can be stressful. My commute is stressful. <laughs> Going to the grocery store can be stressful. Little things right. like that. I mean, how do you answer that? Yeah, I guess. But it wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I'm way overworked or, you know, there's something crazy going on or I think I'm going to lose my job or right. no, no immense stress that I could pinpoint at that time. Right. And um, yeah, so it just kind of progressed from there. I got put on a maintenance medication. And unfortunately, with a generalized seizure disorder or any disorder, when you have a seizure, 
and it's recorded by a medical professional, as it should be, in the state of Massachusetts, you immediately lose your license for six months. So here comes the resilience part, right? I'm sure you remember me riding my bicycle to the studio (laughs) with my Mm -hmm. flashy vest on because it was 530 in the morning and it was dark out. And Mm -hmm. I said to myself, the gym is really like the only constant that I have right now. And I'm at a level Mm -hmm. that I don't want to backslide. So that was my motivation. I mean, colitis and celiacs was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I really had like no routine at that point. But honestly, having a regular routine, having... Because at that time, you were coming to the studio four days a week. Yes. You were training four days a week. Yes. I remember. You were training four days a week, 5.30 a.m. consistently. Then you started riding your bike. Yeah. I couldn't drive. And every single person, I mean, I say every single person, it was, we have, we've been, you've been working out with the same people for the last, you know, four or five years. But each one of them, I feel like just were in awe of you. I know I was totally inspired. Like, wow, you're still coming here. Like, you're, you're not even asking your husband for a ride. All of the ladies in the group offered to pick you up, to drop you off, and you were riding your bike. Yeah, at five I mean, o'clock in the morning. Before that, I was sessions. before that I was running to my sessions here and there because I right. figured, oh, I only live, During you know, winter. just shy of a mile, so that's not right. far. Oh, that'll be my warm up, and then I'll do my lifting, and then I'll run home. But yeah, right. when I lost my license, that was like you lose your freedom. You may, but at imagine. that time, were you? So you get this new diagnosis, right? Like another thing. Were you nervous at all? Because now those seizures popped up out of nowhere. Was there any part of you that was like, I shouldn't work out? So what that if? was one of the first things that I asked my neurologist. I said, "Listen, this is my routine." So many things have gotten in my way of fitness, of just a normal existence or what I perceive as normal. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting this stop me, basically. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. that little bit of courage. You have that backing of a a medical professional. And he was like, yeah, go ahead and do it. I mean, if you're having any weird spacey feelings, if you're having any numbness, obviously stop. Don't continue, maybe take the rest of the week off and call me. But Mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable and you're not having symptoms, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're having symptoms, don't just power through it. Call me and we'll figure it out. And thankfully, I didn't have any symptoms. And that's honestly not having the freedom of being able to drive myself places and having the gym as an accessible thing for me, especially because I lived so close and I had that group of women and you at five 30 that I was like, Oh, I want to go socialize even. I mean, this, I was right. housebound before COVID quarantine was a thing. I wasn't leaving my right. house cause I couldn't go anywhere pretty much for six right. months. So that was like my little like treat four days a week was, Oh, I get to leave the house at five 30 in the morning. Not many people would view that as a treat, but <laughs> 
<laughs> but I get to leave at 530 in the morning and go socialize and get a workout in and and I'll ride my bike and eventually the dark mornings will become lighter and then I'll have my license back and get back into the routine. And honestly, that's what helped me hold it all together, kind of, was having that motivation yeah. and still waking up at a normal time, doing my workout and then coming back to the house and then going about, thankfully, my work day working from home in that short right. amount of time, not having to make any major adjustments there. Um, but yeah, I kind of, and then I, after I got my license back, I was like, you know what? I might still ride my bike because right. it wasn't that bad, <laughs> you know? Right. So what do you, so kind of going back to that, right? Like you've had the three things, you're, you're riding your bike now, um, you're in your regular routine. Was there a time that you were like, man, like this is just too hard? Um, I will say dealing with a colitis like, flare when it comes back. Going, right. I was going to say of the three, which is the one that feels like the hardest to deal with. That is absolutely the hardest is when the colitis flares up and you know, you wake up that in the mean? morning. What does it look like for you? when you have a flare-up? How does it affect your day-to-day -day function? How does it affect your nutrition, um, your fitness routine? Walk us through what that means for you and how do you manage it? Sure. So usually with a flare, I suffer from extreme fatigue. So first thing, starting out in the morning, it's kind of hard to wake up with that alarm. It's easier to press snooze. Um, but I feel like staying consistent with my workouts, especially in that 5.30 a.m. slot is really important. Um, so usually in the flare. why is that? What was that? Why do you think that's so important to you? Because like you're saying, usually with a flare-up, you suffer from extreme fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> so to <laughs> me, I hear extreme fatigue and then 5.30 a.m. workout, right? So like why do you feel like – still getting that workout in, even though, because when we talk about fatigue, that's something different, right? We're not talking right. about being tired. <laughs> We're not talking like that's a whole different feeling. Yeah. Um, so how, I guess, why is it so important, but also how do you get to that 5.30 a.m. workout when your body is literally telling you no? So I feel like it's important to kind of sidestep that fatigue as much as possible because the easy alternative is I'm just going to go sit on the couch. And if I sit on the couch, it's not going to get any better. I find that when I get out of bed, once I start to get moving, once, you know, you do your normal routine, you get up, you brush your teeth might stand there a little longer, might be a little more difficult to move around. You got some joint pain going on, um, those types of things. I mean, obviously there's a limit to that. You can't push through if you're right. like, I literally cannot get out of bed. But mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a crutch in saying I have extreme fatigue or I'm having symptoms. It's really easy to sit there and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. 
I'm not going to do anything. Um, so I feel like personally, when I'm suffering in a flare, it's easier to try to stay as normal as possible because as the day progresses, yes, I might be dealing with a little bit of setbacks. I might not be lifting as heavy a weights. I might not be able to go as hard on the cardio. Um, I might have to take more bathroom breaks. Those types of things, at least I'm moving. And I find once I get that workout in at 530 or whatever time of day I can fit it in, but I try to still stick with that 530. It kind of helps me move throughout the rest of my day. And the solace in that is that when I come home from work, when I'm done working, I can give into that fatigue. I can sit on the couch. There's not a single other thing that I have to do. Right. I can kind of extend that rest and relaxation period. I can make dinner or um, on the off chance that my husband feels like making dinner, which is <laughs> very few and far between. But, um, you know, I can then just sit on the couch. I can unwind, get my pajamas on and go to bed. And I feel like getting that workout in for me personally, especially in a flare, just kind of like jump starts my day kind of charges my batteries just enough so that I can get through the rest of my day. Right. What would you say, what would be your biggest advice to either somebody who has been dealing with, you know, not necessarily colitis, but just any type of chronic illness that causes symptoms like this, that can really prohibit us from wanting to get active, for wanting us to get a new routine. What would you say to the person who is struggling, staying consistent, but also to the person who has been wanting to thrive, wanting to get into a new routine, wanting to make healthier choices, but are finding the difficulty, the motivation to make those moves and get consistent with all these lingering symptoms, all these chronic illness things that people don't necessarily know that someone is suffering with. Like, and I mean, I know what you mean when you say fatigue, like, I have thyroid issues and before it was managed, I had extreme fatigue. And that's, you know, it's funny because when you read some symptoms of it, it's like um, exhaustion or tired. And it's like, it's not tired. (laughs) Like fatigue is something different. It feels like you could literally sit in a ball on the couch all day doing nothing. Um, and it's hard to like mentally get out of that, right? Like it is. Yeah. I think so heavy. I think the biggest piece of advice, especially when it comes to motivation, is start small. I mean, you can sit on the couch and make as many grand plans as you want, but if you're gonna start immediately by saying, I have UC and I'm gonna run a marathon. And, and you're still sitting right. on the couch. I mean, it could be as small as like, you know, when you're dealing with extreme fatigue or body aches or things like that. If you're sitting down and you got a can of soup and you want to do some bicep curls, I mean, do 10 of those. Is it more than you did yesterday? Maybe. Is it less than you did yesterday? Maybe, but at least you did something. So that's, mm. that's key is just starting out small. Is it just a 10 minute walk? down to the end of the block and back. I mean, a lot of us 
that have gastro problems, that might be a huge effort to walk down to the end of the block and back without, you know, having some kind of stress or something like that. Um, But yeah, my, my biggest piece of advice would be to start small. That's going to keep you motivated. If you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Maybe tomorrow I'll do, you know, 10 more or something different. Or if you're not setting these giant goals for yourself right at the beginning, I think it's more manageable. And I think that you stay motivated to do more, maybe get a little more active, maybe eat a little bit better. Um, Same thing with meal planning. I mean, if you're sitting there with a mountain of groceries in front of you and have to plan out your entire week and meal prep for the entire week all in one day, that can be overwhelming. Maybe Mm. just meal prep like two days at a time. Maybe think about your menu a couple days at a time. Not, mm. not the whole thing. You don't have to do all of it all at once because then that's, that's when you start to shut off and default to that. Well, I just don't feel up to it. Now, with that extreme fatigue being such a symptom, did you feel like managing your sleep schedule helped at all? Do you typically, I mean, give us some insight to that? Absolutely. Like I said earlier, usually when I get home, as soon as I'm done, making dinner, the phone goes on like bedtime mode. Mm -hmm. That goes away. I sit down, we watch some TV and just kind of chill with the dogs. There are living blankets on the couch lately, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's, it's takes some time to learn how to just be still, especially if you're really used to being active. Um, Usually I'll do a little bit of meditation, some yoga, before bed to really kind of like seal the deal and be like, this is bedtime. Doesn't have to be any more than 10 or 15 minutes. Just some nice gentle stretching, some kind of mind stilling activities. And then I am in bed by 8.30, 9 o'clock most nights. That's even on Fridays. That's even on Saturdays and Sundays. That's, you know, I have a traditional work week where I'm in the office Monday through Friday. Um, and I teach yoga on the weekends, but I try to stick to that 9 p.m. bedtime, even yeah. during the weekends. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but staying right. again in a routine that you know is not going to change. Sometimes you don't even need the alarm clock. If you're getting enough sleep, you just wake up when you're supposed to wake up. You're not right. waiting for that buzzer to right. happen. Right. Um So yeah, consistent bedtime is huge, especially with fatigue and knowing when to stop. I mean, with the, with my nephews, they have, they have baseball going on right now and it's four nights a week. And I really had to look at the schedule and be like, okay, I can't do four nights a week because that means I'm not getting home till eight or eight 30. I still need to eat dinner and I still need to wake up so that I can get my workout in and be functional the next day. So I mean, that's kind of the perks of being an auntie is you don't have to be there for every single thing, though I like to. (laughs) But, you know, I had to kind of reconcile the fact that, like, maybe I'll only make it to one of each of their games every week, not both of each of their games. But I think that's an important part, even for someone who is a parent, is you still have to prioritize your health and set limits, right? Kind of learn um, what your limits are, what 
your fatigue can handle, what your symptoms can handle, whether you're in a flare-up or not, and then kind of set your limits based on that stuff, right? So you're kind of setting your life up to be consistent even through the flare-up. So it doesn't feel like, okay, now I'm in a flare-up. Now I have to get to bed early. Now I need to like pull back. Now I need to set some boundaries, right? Absolutely. Would you agree? Absolutely. And then when you're when you're feeling good and you're not in a flare and you already have those things set up for you, when you have a flare, it's just, it's more like, oh, now I have to deal with this. But I know that I already have a routine. That, and that's right. not going to change. It's right. just, you know, the self-care aspect or maybe, you know, you're working, you're working your schedule a little bit different or, you know, you're having to adjust some medications here or there. Or, right. Heaven forbid, go back to those. Depends if you're having a really bad time of it. Oh. I know it sucks. But you know what? I will tell you right now, Nina, I've been to your workouts. I will admit, no shame here. I have been to your workouts with adult diapers. Thank God not needed them. But just in case, you just, yeah. you have to take care of yourself and you can't care about right. what other people think. And I feel like that is another big piece of advice is with these chronic illnesses and especially ones that are gastrointestinal, you kind of have to get over yourself a little bit. You mm -hmm. have to get rid of that shame and you also need to deal with the mental aspect of it. There's a lot of hangups with chronic illness and there's a lot of isolation because you're not like other people. Um, mm -hmm. And as much as outwardly you may appear like everyone else, um, there's a lot going on. So I feel like you kind of have to work in your brain just as much as you have to work on the physicality of the things and your nutrition and all of those things. So sometimes it's even helpful to go talk to a therapist who might specialize right. in patients with chronic illness. And that's not right. even necessarily, you know, a thyroid issue or gastro issue. I mean, that could also mean things like depression. I mean, that's, yeah. that's an illness as well. That's not something that you're ever really cured from. Some people are more predisposed to things like that. Um, so I think that therapy is a huge thing, especially when it comes to dealing with the newness of a chronic illness that is not ever going to be gone. I mean, that's, right. a, that's a struggle as well for a lot of people. Right. Well, Jess, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I think it's important for people to hear that whatever you're dealing with, a chronic illness, you know, kind of like you're saying things like depression or whatever it is, yes, you should seek help. Yes, you need to absolutely take care of yourself, but you also can thrive. You can have a healthy life. You can be on a fitness journey. Um, it might look a little different. It might feel a little bit different, um, but there are ways to kind of make it work. And um, lots of resources out there. We just have to remember to always be advocates for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so happens that the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it is also okay. Crohn's and Colitis Awareness oh, Month. So, okay. yeah, we're hitting both those. So, yeah, thank you for sharing timing. that. With me. <laughs> So I know that you teach yoga regularly. Yes. Where do you teach? Where can people find you online if someone wanted to follow your journey? So right now I am teaching um, at Good Yoga in New Bedford. And mm -hmm. we're also going to start up seasonal classes at the Stone Barn in Westport. It's a mass Audubon 
property. That's a really cool space. Um, I do hop around here and there. I'm looking at doing a little more pop-ups at different places. So if you're interested in taking any of my yoga classes, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Jess Kate Yoga. So J-E-S-S-K-A-E-T-Y-O-G-A. And I usually post all kinds of pictures of my crazy dogs and yoga (laughs) stuff and upcoming classes. So if you're interested in that, there's also some fitness journey stuff on there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. I will see you bright and early in the morning. I know. It's almost past my bedtime, (laughs) but I will see you in the morning. (laughs) All right, Jess. Thanks again. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Making Fit Work. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you took a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference and would be super helpful to me. Also, if you have any topic suggestions, if there's something in particular you'd love for me to address on this podcast, feel free to shoot me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can shoot me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and find me at fitwith underscore Nina. Again, you can find me at fitwith underscore Nina. Or you can join my private community on Facebook called Making Fit Work and drop your topic suggestions in there. Until next time, my friends, be strong, be healthy, be happy.